Um, you're going to have to forgive me for banging on about the calling of the disciples. Um, this message was never meant to be a part of that. And as I wrote it, it became very apparent that we are journeying this calling. We are working our way through um, what I've aptly called uh, the problem with Matthew this evening, but this idea of actually this is a bigger picture of what Jesus was doing at the beginning of his ministry. We read a couple of weeks ago, sorry, maybe even last week, um, that when those first four were called, they were simply fishermen. That's what we could conclude. They were fishermen. They had a call, and they followed. That was what happened. As you read, they dropped everything. Immediately, they left their boats and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and, brought, uh, and people brought to him all were, who, who were ill with various diseases. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus called these four guys, four fishermen, and the next thing we read after the, they immediately dropped everything and followed him is that they got on with it. They got on with it. Everything was smooth sailing. They moved through and they teached and they proclaimed the good news and everything just was right. It highlighted to us that we don't necessarily need to have achieved anything to be worthy. Our CVs weren't going to have any effect on whether we were acceptable before Christ or not, because the truth is we need him no matter how good we think we might have been. But the amazing thing about this for me is that it highlights when we then see, for some it's not quite such smooth sailing. For some, this process isn't the process that they experienced at all. Now, I don't know if you picked up on this in the media, uh, but the other week, uh, someone decided, a, a business owner decided to respond to a TripAdvisor uh, kind of review that was made. Now, TripAdvisor, for those who don't know, is an online uh, website where you can type in a review of a restaurant or uh, maybe a venue, uh, a place you visited. Um, it allows you the opportunity just to share what you think of the place. Now, Normally, this works perfectly because someone sits there and they type it, and that's the end of it. The reason this managed to make it to the media is that the restaurant owner decided to pen his own review back of the reviewer. So I'm just going to let you in on a little bit of it. I've censored it down just so you're aware. The one-star review read as followed. After seven years of patronage to the OBK, I was unfortunate enough to order the cheese board brackets, for heaven's sake, don't do it, close bracket. It arrived via our unfriendly host, Angela, where it was discarded on our table with a bang. I looked to my horror at the juvenile attempt of a cheese board, anemic crackers, putrid celery, and cheese from an over-milked cow. I rejected the dish, at which point Angela erupted with anger as, she pronounced, uh, as if she'd produced the cheese herself. I could hear from the kitchen the insults and the language. With trepidation, it was time to pay the bill. I approached the bar cautiously. Angela had removed it from the bill, like she'd done me a favor. Thanks, Angela. I'd like to compliment the rest of the staff on, a, on the previous seven years of excellent service. I'll be back. 
So that's the review. If uh, you, like me and Mark, will sometimes do this, we'll look on TripAdvisor at places that we're considering, and you tend to find one-star reviews. You get them. This one is uh, fairly well detailed. Um, if you could see the spelling mistakes, you would understand that it was quite clearly written in a haste and probably with a genuine annoyance at the cheese board. And that's how TripAdvisor works. But then the restaurant owner replied. His title to his review was why I want to burn, uh, why I want TripAdvisor to burn. This was the response. Why I want TripAdvisor to burn, not because he thinks Lauren is called Angela, not because he thinks our cheese is rubbish, each to their own. No, James is a plonker because, as he states, after seven years of loyalty, along the closing line, along with the closing line, I'd like to compliment the rest of the staff on the seven previous years of excellent service, and I'll be back. James, in the seven years of excellent service, why have you not left one single positive review for us? Yet one cheese board not to your liking, which we took off your bill, you give us a one-star review. You say you'll be back. Come back when you've given us a positive review for each of the excellent experiences you say you've had with us over the last seven years. Otherwise, don't bother. The amount of negative reviews which start with the last visit was excellent. However, blah, blah, blah. This keeps me awake at night. I employ 23 staff. We all have families to feed. By all means, leave us a bad review if you don't like us. But don't ignore the positive experiences or flirt over them in a one-star review. Why don't they warrant a separate five-star review? And he goes on to, to rant about some of his uh, complaints with TripAdvisor. I feel his pain. I really do feel James, uh, not James, sorry, the, the restaurant owner's pain. If you work it out on average, if James has been to the restaurant three times a year over the course of the seven years, that would be 21 visits. But apparently one bad visit warranted a whole review. The other 20 didn't get anything. I think this is an interesting reflection for me on life. So long as things don't rock the boat too much, we generally let them pass by. If things don't put us out, if things just move on how we are content with, then we don't really feel the need to raise any attention. Don't really feel any need to, to draw any compliments or complaints. We're just happy to let it be as it is. But if something were to dare unsettle us, if something wasn't quite to our liking, if something had the audacity to unsteady the ship that we were on, then we would be content to stir up a mob, make a complaint. And so it seems, as we hear this evening, were people around during the time of Jesus. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you as we've heard in people's prayers, as we've sung. You are a God who does immeasurably more than we can imagine. So much so that you plucked us out 
you sent your son to die for us. So God, I just pray as we hear this word, as we consider what this problem of Matthew creates for us, would we hear it in the full knowledge that we need you? God, we need you daily. Amen. I don't know if you noticed the difference between the two callings. We've got the first four disciples, and then we've got Matthew. It reads very similarly to begin with. I've, I've kind of adapted to the end, but followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news. With Matthew, followed him. Many tax collectors and sinners ate with him. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked, why does your teacher eat with sinners? Here is our moment for the one-star review. The calling of the four beside the lake, we read of nothing. They just simply get on with it. They fitted. Maybe it was the fact that they were just fishermen meant that they weren't going to unsettle people because they were really nobodies. Maybe they'd never offended anybody, but somehow their calling allowed for Jesus to carry on with what he was doing. The problem the second time was this. Jesus called someone who didn't quite fit the mold. Jesus called someone who somehow they had already decided was unworthy of being a part of what they had going on. Jesus had the audacity the second time to call someone who they in their own words described as a sinner. It's incredible though if you read the passage as we did with the calling of the first four. We can only but conclude about Matthew that he was sat at a tax collector's booth. That's the information we have about him. We had four fishermen. Now we have a gentleman sat at a tax collector's booth. Therefore, I don't think it's an outrageous assumption for us to conclude that he was quite possibly a tax collector. The interesting thing is we don't find out if he was a fair tax collector or a bad one, a greedy one, the most generous one of all. We have no other information than the fact that he was sat there. Of course, the problem with a tax collector is this. They were not popular. Fishermen generally seem to provide something of need. Fish. Unless they were bad and then there wasn't. But Jesus was pretty good at solving that. What we have here is an unpopular person. The problem with tax collectors was that they would take your money for taxes. But they wouldn't just take your money for taxes. They were taking your money for taxes to pay Rome, who were occupying your land. And in many cases, it wasn't uncommon for a tax collector to make sure that he took enough tax to pay the taxes, but just enough to line his own pocket as well. It would be a whole lot like Cardiff Blue fans turning up at a Newport's Dragon game and having the audacity not just to be there, but to charge you an extra pound for every pint that you wanted. They were not popular people. So Jesus being Jesus calls one of them, calls them to follow. One of the bad people, one of the outcasts, one as the Pharisees call them, sinners. The process was the same. There was no real difference. Jesus saw them. Jesus saw Matthew and he said, follow me. The process was the same. Nothing's changed from Jesus' side of things at this point at all. But the problem here is Jesus has called someone who doesn't fit, doesn't fit into the plan and the style and the model and the ideas that the religious leaders had placed on everyone at the time. 
Matthew didn't fit. I believe, I've loved just looking at this early process of Jesus calling people, and I believe here we see Jesus letting us in on a little secret. I think in the calling of Matthew, Jesus lets us in on an amazing truth. The kingdom of heaven is open to everyone. I don't know if we ever read the Bible in this way anymore, where we read it and we just begin to see how monumental what's happening really is. Jesus calls someone who has been decided by all of the religious authorities as an outcast, as a sinner, someone who is beyond redemption, and Jesus says, follow me. The kingdom of heaven is open to everyone. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I want to focus on two things in this passage. The first is the problem of Matthew. The problem of Matthew. Where does that leave us? The second is one that I think I stumbled across, but God has spoken to me so clearly on, and that is the problem without Matthew. The problem with Matthew was that he didn't fit. It wasn't that he didn't fit being Matthew. Psalm 139 tells us that he was fearfully and wonderfully made, crafted together by the creator of the earth. He was very good at being Matthew. The problem was Matthew didn't fit the model that the church or the religious leaders in the synagogues had decided was worthy. They had decided Matthew didn't fit, not God. And this creates our first challenge. How we choose to treat Matthew will affect how we do church. How we choose to treat Matthews of this world will affect directly how we do church. Are we expecting everybody who walks through the doors on a Sunday to know how to play the game? Are we expecting everyone who walks in to know exactly how we do church, how we like it, where I sit, so if you could not sit there, that would be grand. Do we think everybody gets it? Do we think everyone knows what they need to wear, the language they need to use, and they know the Lord's Prayer in English, Welsh, and Hebrew? Is that what we expect? Because that's what we see the Pharisees expecting. There is an expectation on how people will do things. And yet Jesus calls Matthew. Which leaves us with this truth. If we really want the doors, and I mean the physical doors, of the church to be open to everybody... If we actually want to be the message of grace and forgiveness and love, then we need to answer this question honestly for ourselves and as a church. Are we happy with Matthew following our Jesus? Are we happy with Matthew following our Jesus? Are we happy with a tax collector to follow Jesus? Because Jesus is Jesus, and he's awesome. And Matthew's a tax collector, and he's, like, dirty and not popular, and he's going to ruin everything Jesus is doing. Are we okay with people walking through those doors who are Matthews? Are we happy to genuinely say, come as you are, and mean it? Or do we place an expectation on people? Because Jesus called Matthew. Jesus called Matthew, who we can conclude was not one of the good guys at this point in the story. He was not one of the good guys. He was not the hero. He was a sinner. But Jesus called him the same way he called the others. 
He called in the same way he called you, and he called in the same way he called me. Follow me. Are we happy with Matthew following our Jesus? Because the truth is, and the more time I've spent in this, I've come to a pretty important conclusion, and that is that I am Matthew. I am Matthew. I don't really fit. I make mistakes. I need every day to remember that this is not my working that's got me here. This is all because of what Jesus has done. Please do not just hear that and be like, great, Tim's actually called Matthew. It's not that. I am Matthew. I do not fit. I am a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've not fitted into the mold that would make me perfect. I look at the story of Matthew, if I'm completely honest, and I see more Tim in that story than I do of the other four. I see more of me in the way that Matthew fitted into society. I grew up being naughty. I grew up not playing the game properly. I don't know if any of you do this. If you don't, it might help just kind of draw the picture a little bit. When we read of the calling of the brothers, the fishermen, we kind of can put them at a naught on a scale. Nah, fishermen, they're a naught. The problem is when we see Matthew, we kind of in our heads go, he's like a minus five, like tax collector, that's got to be some points off your score. He's a minus five. The problem being, Jesus called the noughts and the minus fives the same. He calls all of us the same. It doesn't matter where we stand, where we think we stand. We are called the same. It means this. Everyone is welcome to follow. If we want to look at it from how Jesus does it, Jesus is telling us everybody is welcome to follow. It means you are welcome. No matter what you did before, the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, it means you are welcome to follow. It means I am welcome to follow. It means the business types who work over the road and wear suits every day are welcome to follow as much as the alcoholics in the pub who struggle to stay awake in the afternoons are welcome to follow. The gospel is a welcome to everybody. And that is crucial for us to pick up. Because it means we need to learn to welcome those who choose to follow who don't know how to do communion. It means we need to welcome those who don't know how to play the game. For me, the call of Matthew is one of the most significant moments in Jesus' ministry. Because in the calling of Matthew, I see him calling me. In the calling of Matthew, I see him calling me. He says, I am welcome, a sinner. This little rebel from Somerset who couldn't sit still in church, and I used words my parents would never have approved of when I was at school. But yet still, he called me. Jesus, in calling Matthew, is calling everybody. So how do we respond if we truly open the doors and people start showing up? Because as much as we may well get some who understand how church works, we need to be expectant. And please, God, may there be people who have no idea how church works. We need to be ready for the Matthews. And my prayer is this. 
We do not follow the root of the Pharisees with judgment and condemnation. Instead, may we look at the model Jesus showed when he called Matthew. He did it with hospitality. He did it being present, physically present in his life. May we not keep those who don't know how to fit in at arm's length. And that leads me on to what's become a huge thing for me this week. It's been huge for me as I've looked at this passage because the second problem is life without Matthew. I want to read that little passage for you again. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked him, uh, asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus called Matthew, but look who eats with them. Jesus' call was to Matthew, but look who eats with them. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came, with, came and ate with him and his disciples. You see, the problem without Matthew is that we won't draw other people who see themselves as Matthew. If we were a church with no Matthews, if we were just full of people who got it right, who were pristine, who knew all the words, who just did everything just so, then a world that is lost and broken will pay us no attention. Because they don't need to feel like we've got it all together and they haven't. What we need is churches full of people who are Matthews. The problem without Matthew is you will not draw others who see themselves as Matthews. We will, by the way that we conduct ourselves, make a closed club. Everyone knows the lingo. Everyone's agreeable. Gosh, every vote that we have will be 100%. Worryingly, it will look a whole lot like the Pharisees. When Jesus invites Matthew to follow him and then spends time with him, others who saw themselves like Matthew, those who were associates with him, with his world, with his outcast ways, felt like they could come too. That's huge. It's huge that they felt like they could come to to listen to Jesus, to share with him, to be in his presence. How amazing must that have been? Jesus called one outcast, one sinner to follow him. And instantly, yes, the first time around, Jesus went and spread the word in synagogues and other places. But when he calls Matthew one, crowds come, outcasts, sinners And they listen. They just spend time with Jesus. I want this to serve as a gentle reminder to us. We all once were Matthews. We all once were the other side of where we are. We were all lost. We may not have been tax collectors. We may not have even really been that bad. But we all needed Jesus to call us. We all needed Jesus to go to the cross for us. We need God's grace and mercy every day. So the risk is that when we begin to act like we've got it all together, like somehow we have generated our goodness, 
Somehow we've earned the right to be here. We've earned God's love. Like somehow we have moved beyond the mere challenges of the world. We begin to project a faith that is unattainable to the lost. When we make it look like somehow how we do this is so holy and so spotless and our lives are so perfect, those whose lives are a mess will walk past the doors with a hurried pace. Why? Because they don't belong here. We need to remember that we too are Matthew. We needed to be saved. We once didn't know how all of this worked. So if we don't have Matthews, if we don't humble ourselves to admit that we are broken, we are flawed, we are in need of a saviour, then we need to stop saying we want those people to come. Because they won't. They won't. We need to begin to accept that we will not be surrounded by those who are searching, those who are lost. We will no longer be a place that those who don't know Jesus but want to could come. We'd have missed that opportunity. This amazing truth that we are welcome. We are welcome. All of us in here are welcome. But so is everyone out there. Everyone out there is as welcome in the presence of God as we are. No one is beyond the reach of love that God has. And no one is beyond the redemptive power of the cross. And we need to be a place that lets people know that. That makes people feel welcome. I want to read how Jesus responds to this little exchange that's happening. I love the fact, I don't know whether you've noticed it. At this point, I'm pretty sure he's just eating. The Pharisees go to the disciples. Jesus is just getting on with Matthew and his friends. But Jesus decides to join in. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I want to read that again. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know what? Praise God. Praise God that Jesus did not come for the healthy but for the sick because I am sick. I'm okay with that. You know what? I want to be better. I'm not telling you to give up trying. What I'm saying is I am sick. I am a sinner. I strive for righteousness and fall short. And that means this. Jesus came for me. Praise God. Praise God I was broken enough. Praise God people are around me who accepted me as I was to show me who he is. That's why I'm here. I'm here because Jesus came for people like me. 
And I pray I never stand here pretending to be healthy on my own. I never want to stand here and become self-righteous. Because I want to be stood here. I want to go to meetings. I want to be having coffee. And I want the world to know that I am a sinner. That I am unhealthy. That I need a saviour. That I have a saviour. I want my life to point to him, not because my life is so perfect, but because somehow in amongst the mess of my life, he is still God. That because everything that I may try will fall short, somehow with his presence in my life, with his spirit at work, will have incredible results. Because I was once destined to death, and I'm now promised eternal life. Because Jesus is for me. Jesus died for me. And I need him. I need him. I need him every day. I need his love and his strength and his support and his grace. I am in need of him. Because Jesus called four disciples at the lakeside. And they just cracked on. The next thing we read is them doing the job. Jesus then called a sinner. Someone who was broken, someone who didn't get it, someone who was going to cause some problems for the establishment. Jesus called them the same. Jesus loved them the same. Jesus hung on the cross for them the same. Jesus is for you. Because we are all Matthew. We are all sinners. And Jesus came for us. And he comes for the lost. And he comes for the broken. And I pray continually that we as a chapel, that we as a people, never leave anyone, anyone ever feeling like the love of God cannot reach them. May we never fall into the trap of making God unattainable to people. May we open the doors of this church with the wholehearted expression, come as you are. Meet my Jesus.